Section 3, A Guided Journey Through Shiva and the Stages of Jewish Mourning. Judaism provides a beautiful, structured approach to mourning that involves three stages. When followed carefully, these stages guide mourners through their tragic loss and pain and gradually ease them back into the world. One mourner said her journey through the stages of mourning was like being in a cocoon. At first, she felt numb and not perceptively alive. Yet gradually, she emerged as a butterfly, ready again to fly. The loss is forever, but the psychological, emotional, and spiritual healing that takes place at every stage is necessary and healthy. The system brilliantly addresses so many of the issues facing a person at this difficult time. Stage 1. The Shiva Imagine you're driving in a Jewish neighborhood in any city in North America and your car breaks down. You've left your cell phone at home and you have to call your spouse or the auto club. Across the street, you see a house with a lot of people streaming in and out. You hear laughter and the mood is festive. You figure that perhaps you could go in and ask to use a phone. As you approach the house, you hear animated conversations about people's vacations, businesses, and lives. You walk in the door and see waiters, waitresses, and tables laden with food. If you didn't know you were at a shiva, where would you think you were? At a party, someone's birthday, an anniversary, or another celebration. Festive events like these are what shivas have become, and they are a travesty of what a house of mourning is supposed to be. The traditional shiva is very different. You walk into the house. No one greets you at the door or takes your coat. There is no laughter, no food, and no merriment. The mourners are sitting on low chairs. Their clothes are torn, and they look awful. People are often crying. For the one paying the shiva call, this can be unnerving. Getting lost in a party is easier than facing real grief and mourning. Everyone is somewhat aware that Shiva parties are wrong. But no one knows how to turn the clock back and make them right. In this section, you'll find many suggestions. So what is Shiva? After a burial, the direct mourners return to a home called the Shiva house to begin a seven-day period of intense mourning. Shiva comes from the word Sheva, which means seven. What the mourners do this week is called sitting shiva, and it is an emotionally and spiritually healing time during which the mourners sit low and dwell together, and friends and loved ones come to comfort them with short visits referred to as shiva calls. The Laws of Mourning the laws of mourning explained in this section address various aspects of grief. Many have the purpose of focusing a person on his or her own spirituality. As you will see by the laws, we experience a feeling of physical discomfort as we totally focus on the soul of the one who has departed. 
we de-emphasize our own physicality by not pampering our bodies, so we remember that what we are missing at this time is not the physical person who is gone, but the essence of who that person was, which, of course, is the soul. The overall focus throughout the week of Shiva is this. I am a soul. My loved one is a soul. Sitting Shiva People are confused about how to sit Shiva and how to properly pay a Shiva call. Because people do not know how, and because talking about death makes people nervous and awkward, the Shiva house often turns into a festive gathering filled with nervous chatter instead of the proper house of mourning. Remember, our traditions and laws of death and mourning are not empty rituals handed down from our grandparents. The Torah itself speaks about the mourning of Aaron for his sons and Joseph for Jacob. Amos the prophet discusses mourning. It is considered a sacred observance dating back even before the giving of the Torah. The flood of Noah was postponed because the world was in mourning for Methuselah. The Talmud speaks about the laws of mourning not because God wanted to fill our lives up with a lot of do's and don'ts, but because if one properly mourns according to Jewish law and tradition, the important emotional, spiritual, and psychological healing will take place. The pain of loss is great, but if properly conducted, the seven-day period of Shiva can be the first step in dealing with this tremendous and tragic loss. Without it, and without the other stages of mourning that we will discuss, the mourner may never be able to properly go on with life. Who sits Shiva? One sits Shiva if one has lost a parent, spouse, sibling, or child. All other loved ones are also mourned, but the observances of Shiva apply only to the direct mourners. The Timing of Shiva the seven-day period of mourning begins immediately after the burial. Thus, the first day of Shiva is the day of the burial. If the funeral was on Tuesday, the last day of Shiva is the following Monday. If a Jewish holiday, for example, Rosh Hashanah, falls during the seven days, the Shiva continues until the holiday and then ends. In such a case, the mourner is considered to have mourned for the seven days, even though the period was cut short. If a person passes away during a holiday, the burial and shiva are conducted after the holiday is complete. If a person passes away on Shabbat, the burial is performed the next day. When Shabbat falls during the shiva, it is counted as one of the seven days of mourning, but one does not mourn publicly. This means that the outer signs of mourning, covering of the mirrors that others can see, sitting low, wearing no makeup, wearing mourner's garments, etc., are suspended because the joy of Shabbat overrides even public mourning. The outer signs of mourning are suspended before the beginning of Shabbat so that a person has time to properly prepare, to shower and dress, and so on, all for Shabbat. On Saturday night, the Shiva resumes. On Shabbat, people sitting Shiva mourn only in their hearts. What about the concept of a three-day Shiva? Nothing in our tradition supports this concept of sitting Shiva 
for three days. The number seven, Sheva, in Judaism is very significant, for it symbolizes completion in this world, as in the seven days of creation. The current trend to sit for only three days comes from the mistaken belief that it will somehow make the morning easier not to drag it out. And if the Shiva, because of a lack of knowledge, becomes a series of festive social gatherings, then who would want to socialize for seven days after experiencing such a devastating loss? Observed in the proper way, each one of the seven days is important. These are not easy days, for sitting Shiva is emotionally and physically draining. But this time is crucial, both for the mourner and for the soul that has passed on to the next world. Observing Shiva gives honor to the loved one, and the merit of the observance is an elevation of the departed soul. If part of the family wants to sit for only three days, so be it. You just go to your home after their Shiva ends and sit for the rest of the days in personal mourning. You don't have to make a public statement about it as you must be careful of their feelings. I had an adult student who was told to sit Shiva for her mother for three days. I wanted to convince her otherwise, but felt uncomfortable about doing so at such a time. I paid a Shiva call to her, and if I hadn't known someone had died, I would have thought I had walked into a cocktail party with a lot of food, laughter, and drinks. I finally found her. She was, she was directing the waitresses in the kitchen. I took her by the hand and sat her down and talked to her about her mother and about the soul and the afterlife. I told her, you don't have to do this, all the food and the drinks and entertaining. She said, I know, but everyone expects me to. I mentioned that really the, the shiva should be seven days. But she answered, who would want to do this for seven days? I want everyone to leave me alone. My mother is dead. Weeks later, she called me to tell me that even with the party atmosphere, sitting for only three days was a mistake. She said at the end of the three days, people left, her husband went back to work, and everyone expected her to resume her life. She cried to me, I haven't mourned my mother. After the burial Immediately upon returning from the cemetery after the burial and before entering the Shiva house, the mourners and anyone else who attended the burial perform a ceremonial washing of the hands using a washing station often provided by the funeral home, or a bucket and a cup. When one has come in contact with death, it is proper to pour water three times over each hand, alternating hands each time, in order to focus on life. Why water? Water is the source of all life, and thus we pour it over our hands as a physical act that has spiritual ramifications. From the time of death, until the conclusion of the funeral, the primary focus and concern is on the care of the deceased and the burial preparations. The care for the departed before burial, the eulogy, the actual burial, are all done to honor the one who has died, not to comfort the mourners. However, once Shiva begins, the focus is now on the mourners. The mourners experience a week of intense grief, and the community is there to love and comfort and provide for all their needs. 
This is a critical point, for if one must feel the heart-wrenching pain of grief and loss, it should be done at a time when all those around are there to help and comfort. Let's talk about the Shiva house and the proper arrangements for Shiva observance. The week of mourning is intensely private, but shared with community, friends, and family. Ideally, all the direct mourners sit Shiva in the house of the deceased, for it says, where a man lived, there does his spirit continue to dwell. Thus, the presence of the person who has passed away is strongest in his or her own home. But one may sit Shiva in any home. Any home of one of the direct mourners will be filled with the spirit of the loved one who is now gone. Memories will come easily there, and part of the comfort of the week of Shiva is sharing such memories. The best practice is for the mourners to move into the Shiva house together for the week. If this is not possible, designate one home as the Shiva house, and those who cannot sleep there may leave after dark to go home and return to the Shiva house early in the morning. Mourners should ideally not leave the Shiva house at any time. Others must take care of any errands or outside commitments for them. To be seen during the day in public would force one to put on a public face, which is inappropriate during this time. When family, friends, and neighbors help out during the week and provide for the needs of the mourners, an atmosphere of love, caring, and kindness is created. This helps to soften the pain that the mourners so deeply feel. The proper physical setup of the Shiva house includes the following items. A memorial candle. A person's soul is compared to a flame since each person brings light into the world. And just as one can take from a flame to light more candles without diminishing the original flame, so too a person can give of himself or herself, touching many lives without ever being diminished. The wick and the flame are also compared to the body and soul and the strong bond between them. And just as a soul always strives upward for what is good and right, so too a flame can only burn toward the heavens. Thus, a memorial candle is lit in the Shiva house and remains burning publicly 24 hours a day throughout the entire week. The funeral home usually provides these candles. When you look at the candle, remember that your loved one's soul is eternal. This thought can help bring light into the darkness that you are now immersed in. Chairs those mourners sitting Shiva are required to sit low as a sign of mourning. Funeral homes often provide chairs with shortened legs for this purpose. One can also remove the cushions of a couch or chair and use that. Some have the custom of actually sitting on the floor. This is a physical symbol of the loneliness and depression a mourner feels. Regular chairs should be placed in front of the mourner so those visitors paying a Shiva call can sit close and provide emotional comfort. Setting up the Shiva house in this way will help the visitor know the proper thing to do when calling upon the mourner. Mirrors Proper practice is to cover the mirrors in the Shiva house with sheets or a special spray that fogs the mirror provided by the funeral home for the following reasons. 
The mourners are striving this week to ignore their own physicality and vanity in order to concentrate on the reality of being a soul. Physical relations between spouses are suspended during the week of Shiva, and thus the need for physical beauty is removed. A mirror represents social acceptance through the enhancement of one's appearance. Jewish mourning is supposed to be lonely and silent, with the mourner dwelling on his or her personal loss. Covering the mirrors symbolizes this withdrawal from society's gaze. Prayer services commonly held in the Shiva house cannot take place in front of a mirror. When we pray, we focus on God and not on ourselves. The Dan family lost their mother. Realizing that people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, coming to comfort them would not necessarily know what to do, Michael Dan composed this notice and posted it outside on their front door. I thank him for allowing me to share it with you. In a Jewish house of mourning. Each culture approaches death and the mourning period in its own unique fashion. As a family, we only request that an effort be made to create an atmosphere that is congruous with our Jewish values. Conversation should focus on the life and legacy of Judy Dan. No effort should be made to portray her in an artificial light since this would offend her memory. Painful as it may seem, attempts at distracting family members from thinking or speaking about their loss are not considered appropriate at this time. Thank you, the Dan family. Perhaps those in a similar situation could use Michael's words as a guide for composing their own notice. Visitors, upon reading such a message, will walk into the Shiva knowing what is proper to say and do. Such a message will help them, and by creating the proper atmosphere in the Shiva home, will help the mourners as well. Let's talk about the mourner. The mourner's meal. The first thing that the mourners do upon entering the Shiva house is to sit down, again low, to a meal of condolence. This meal is supposed to be provided by neighbors or the community in order to show the mourners that those around them wish to provide consolation. Another deeper psychological reason lies behind this gesture for it recognizes that mourners, having just returned from the heavy trauma of the burial, may harbor a death wish for themselves and not want to go on living anymore without their loved one. The meal they must eat speaks to that part of them that says, No, you must go on. You must affirm life and live. The first meal is eaten silently and traditionally could include some of the following foods. Bread. Consider the sustenance of life. Hard-boiled eggs. A food that is round, like the cycle of life cooked vegetables, and lentils. Lentils, again, being round. Coffee and tea. All other meals during the shiva should ideally be prepared or sent by others. The mourner always eats, sitting low. Kaddish and prayer services. Prayer services are traditionally held for the mourners and those present in the shiva house and not in the synagogue. 
One reason for this is to ensure that for the week of Shiva, the mourners do not have to leave the home where they are best able to fully experience the mourning process. They do not have to dress up and go out or put on a public face for anyone. The services come to them. It is certainly appropriate to have services in the home itself. For the center of Jewish life is the home. This is the place where Jewish values are passed down. This is where family celebrations take place and joy is shared. It is also where pain and loss are shared. It is where Judaism lives. Traditional services are usually held in the morning, called shacharit, and in the late afternoon evening, called mincha and mariv. Between the mincha and mariv services, it is appropriate for someone to share some thoughts from the Torah in memory of the departed. It is good to pay a shiva call during these times if a quorum of people is needed to conduct the service. A minyan of ten is the minimum required for the mourners to say Kaddish. During all of the services, the mourners recite the Kaddish. What about work? With some exceptions, a mourner refrains from going to work during the week of Shiva. The rabbi should be consulted if pressing financial matters are at hand. Again, Shiva is a deeply personal time of reflection, coming to terms with loss and grief, and contemplating the inner spiritual dimensions of life. The workplace draws our thoughts and feelings outward. Thus, if at all possible, work should be avoided. Shoes A mourner should either be in stocking feet or wear slippers not made of leather. This symbolizes again the disregard for vanity and physical comfort. What we refrain from one who is mourning should avoid the following activities. Bathing or showering for pleasure. One may do it for cleanliness. Anointing, creams, perfumes, etc. Wearing makeup. Getting a haircut. This applies for the first 30 days. Trimming nails. Wearing freshly laundered garments for pleasure. They may be worn for cleanliness. Wearing new clothing. Washing clothes. Engaging in marital relations. Now let's talk about paying a shiva call. The following ideas will help ensure that your visit to a mourner is appropriate, meaningful, and comforting. When one pays a shiva call, the focus is on comforting the mourners in the time of their greatest grief. Traditionally, one enters the shiva house quietly with a small knock so as not to startle those inside. No one should greet the visitors. They simply enter on their own. Food or drinks are not laid out for the visitors because the mourners are not hosts. They do not greet the visitors, rise for them, or see them out. One who has come to comfort a mourner should not greet the mourners. In fact, the best practice is to come in silently and sit down close to them. Take your cue from them. If they feel like speaking, let them indicate to you by speaking first. Then you can talk to them. But what about? Again, let them lead and talk about what they want to talk about. Speaking about the one who has passed away is always best. 
And if you have any stories or memories to share with the mourner, this is the time to share them. This is not a time to distract the bereaved from their mourning. Out of our nervousness, we often babble on about trivialities because we just don't know what to say. Often, the best thing to say is nothing. A shiva call can sometimes be completely silent. If the mourners do not feel like talking at the time, so be it. Your goal is not to get them to talk. It is to comfort them. Your presence alone is doing just that. By sitting there silently, you are saying more than words can say. You're saying, I'm here for you. I feel your pain. There are no words. And sometimes there aren't. Here are examples of things not to say. How are you? What can the grieving person reply? No words can describe how a mourner feels. I know how you feel. Even if you yourself have experienced a loss, no one truly knows what another person is feeling. Don't pretend to. Each person feels a unique loss. Don't diminish a mourner's feelings with words that can never be true. At least she lived a long life. Someone who had lost her father told me that she hated it when people said that to her. She wanted to stand up and scream, that means I loved him a long time and his death is killing me. It's good that you have other children or don't worry, you'll have more. It doesn't matter if you have a hundred children. The loss of a child, no matter what age, is devastating. Cheer up. In a few months, you'll meet someone new. This is not a time to think of remarriage. When people have lost a spouse, they have lost the other half of their soul. It is not appropriate during the Shiva to speak of new relationships. Let's talk about happy things. Comforting a mourner does not mean distracting a mourner. Don't fill in the time talking about happy subjects or inconsequential topics like politics or business. Remember that speaking about the departed loved one is comforting. It's all right if the mourners cry. They're grieving. This is all part of the important process of coming to grips with such a loss. It's all for the best. Losing a loved one never feels as if it's for the best. In time, you'll feel better. Even though this is true, the mourner does not want to hear it now. No future exists at this point, only the present, and the present hurts. By being silent and just being there for your friend or relative, or by sharing words and memories about the loved one, you will be comforting the mourner. If you didn't know the person who passed away, but are there because you have a relationship with one of the mourners, let the mourners tell you about their loved one if they feel so inclined. Sometimes it will be too painful. Again, take the lead from them. I have often asked, please share with me a quality of your loved one that I can use in my life so I can be a better person.
when to pay a shiva call. Do not make a shiva call on Shabbat or on a holiday when no public mourning takes place. When you leave a shiva house, even for a visit in silence, there is a traditional statement of comfort that one says to someone who is mourning just before you leave the shiva house. You can say it either in Hebrew or in English. Hamakom yanachem etchem betoch sha'ar avele tzion v'yerushalayim. May God comfort you among the other mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. God in this line is referred to as hamakom, the place. By saying this to the mourner, you are stating that God is everywhere, that we exist within God here and in the next world. The person who is gone is still connected to you, for you are together, contained within the place. Among the other mourners, we speak about the Jewish people. You are saying that we are family. Some people are close and some are distant cousins, but the loss of even one Jew makes us all mourners. Of Zion and Jerusalem, it speaks of our collective mourning because of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the central point of the Jewish relationship to God that was destroyed by the Romans 2,000 years ago. The mourner should nod or say amen after you say these lines, and you should quietly depart, making sure that the mourner does not get up to see you out. Paying a shiva call can be awkward at first. Keep in mind that you may have to modify it for those who are unaware of our traditions. If the mourner would think it odd that you would come in and not say anything, then of course you can speak and offer your condolences. But at one shiva call I paid to a person who is not completely observant, I came in, sat beside her, took her hand, and said nothing. She started to cry and said, There are no words. I said, I know. And let's face it, there aren't. Getting up from Shiva. The seventh and final day of Shiva is observed only for a few short hours, although this counts as a whole day. After the last Shacharit morning service, the mourners sit low again for a short time. Then those who have come to comfort the mourners say to them, Arise! And the comforters then say from the book of Isaiah, No more will your sun set, nor your moon be darkened, for God will be an eternal light for you, and your days of mourning shall end. Like a man whose mother consoles him, so shall I console you, and you shall be consoled in Jerusalem. The mourners acknowledge that the Shiva is over by leaving the Shiva house publicly for the first time, taking a short walk around the block with those who have come to comfort them. The house that the mourners live in for the week of Shiva becomes a house of mourning. It takes on a solemn ambiance filled with memory, contemplation, and meditation. But it is a house where people will continue to dwell. The concrete act of physically stepping outside, walking around the block, and coming back in states that this house 
and the mourner's relationship with his house will now be renewed. Let's talk about stage two, the Shloshim. The first 30 days following the burial, which include the Shiva, are called the Shloshim from the Hebrew word meaning 30. Most restrictions that apply to mourners during the seven-day Shiva period are now lifted. For the next 23 days, mourners are allowed to leave their house and begin to work again. However, they should severely limit social engagements during this time and certainly avoid festive outings where music is played. Mourners do not shave or cut their hair during this time. One is still in mourning, but during the Shloshim, the laws allow for a gradual re-entry into everyday life. For mourners to get up from Shiva and jump back into a normal routine wouldn't be healthy. They're still mourning, even though the intense pain has now become almost bearable. Moments of deep sadness and longing are to be expected, and having these few restrictions reminds them and reminds the people around them that this is a process that certainly isn't over. After the completion of the Shloshim, if mourners are mourning anyone but a parent, the official mourning now ends. That means Kaddish is no longer recited, and they can resume activities without restriction. Why 30 days? The Jewish calendar is marked according to lunar time. As the moon waxes and wanes in a cycle, the 30-day period of mourning is an opportunity for a person to emotionally come full circle. The process begins with the funeral and the first days of Shiva, when not even a glimmer of light is seen. As time goes on, the light slowly comes back, fuller and fuller. The 30 days is an important central cycle of time, a time to renew oneself and to come to grips with a new reality. Of course, mourners still feel the pain of the loss, but Judaism recognizes that to a certain degree, the passage of time is able to ease and heal the pain. Being able to return to everyday life helps achieve this healing. The Shiva was the worst period. The Shloshim was very difficult. And the third stage is still bad. But in time, it will get better. Let's talk about stage three, the one-year period. Unveiling. The erecting of a tombstone gives honor to the body that housed the soul. No tombstone is placed at the time of burial. Rather, the Jewish custom is to erect the stone at a later date. Some people do it as early as right after the Shiva, while others wait to do it sometime within the year. Recently, the ceremony called Hakamat Matseva, the raising up of a stone, has been referred to as an unveiling. Those close to the family are invited to the gravesite where the mourners unveil the stone covered by a cloth. The ceremony is usually short, psalms are recited, and people often share thoughts about the deceased. The following ideas will contribute to an understanding of this important custom. They could be shared at an unveiling ceremony. The Hebrew word for stone is tzur. 
this word is also used to refer to God. At this time of remembrance, we remind ourselves that God is our rock, our strength, and support. He is our one constant, always there to comfort us at our darkest times. A stone is also symbolic of eternity, like the cornerstone of a building placed to last for all time. And what is eternal about our loved ones? It is their lasting qualities that we can still rely on. Our loved ones live on because they affected us on the deepest of levels. We erect stones and remember what they erected in their lifetimes, their deeds, their character. They will never be forgotten. A person is created, but Selim Elohim, in the image of God. This is not a physical image, but an image that is internal and ultimately eternal. A person's soul. Visiting the Cemetery Although a person can visit the cemetery any time after the stone is erected, special days are assigned for visiting the grave. They may include on the seventh day after ending the restrictions of Shiva, on the conclusion of the Shloshim, the thirtieth day of mourning, on the completion of the first twelve months of mourning, on the yard site, the anniversary of the death every year. Many people also visit graves the day before Rosh Hashanah and the day before Yom Kippur. Why these days? These are all naturally reflective times when a person is focused on what is really important in life. Visiting the grave of a loved one opens our minds and hearts and makes us realize that we need help in many aspects of our lives. We pray to God at these times and ask our loved one to be an advocate to him on our behalf. You may have noticed that the Jewish custom is not to bring flowers to the grave, but instead to place a simple stone on the gravestone itself. Rabbi Abner Weiss, in his book, Death and Bereavement, states that flowers have no place in a modern Jewish funeral and are considered a waste of money. Instead, Money should be given in the deceased person's memory to tzedakah, charity. Flowers do nothing for a departed loved one, while acts of merit, such as giving tzedakah, help elevate the person's soul. We give honor to the body with a proper funeral, only as recognition that the body had sanctity because it housed and served the neshama, the soul. In the same way, the casket should be plain and simple, and the money allocated instead to spiritual matters that will affect the person's soul. We place a small stone on the gravestone as a sign that we were there. Not so the person who passed away will know, for the neshama already has awareness, but so that we will know. We who are physical need physical acts to express the reality that we were indeed there. The stone is the calling card of the visitor. Flowers die, but the small, simple stone, a symbol of eternity, represents our eternal devotion to upholding the memory of our beloved. Our connection lives on and will never die. During the 12-month period from the day of death, which includes the Shiva and Shloshim, 
only one who has lost a parent is still considered a mourner after the first 30 days, with the restrictions that we will speak about soon. Why this extra stage of mourning only for a parent? Psychologically and spiritually, our connection to our parents is the essential relationship that defines who we are as people. Therefore, the loss of a parent requires a longer period of adjustment. This period of time guides us into a deep state of gratitude to our parents for all that they gave and all that they did. As children, we spend most of our lives in a taking mode, and our parents, being parents, are constantly in a giving mode. It's hard to say thank you from a taking perspective. That's why it's hard for our children to say thank you to us. In the relationship in which it is the most difficult to show gratitude, this mourning period helps us to focus on recognizing the good that they desperately tried to give in the best way that they could. Parents also represent values and ideals. They are God's representatives to us in this world. They try to impart in their own way essential tools for living. This extended period of mourning recognizes that the loss of such a relationship has deep spiritual ramifications. After the Shloshim period, life slowly begins to return to normal. Social engagements are allowed, but the pursuit of entertainment and amusement, especially where music is involved, is curtailed. One is allowed to actively engage in business activities. After the year is complete, one is not considered a mourner. The Yard Site Each year on the Yard Site, the Jewish anniversary of the death of a loved one, a proper commemoration should take place. If you are not sure of the Jewish date, you can contact a synagogue, a yeshiva, or the funeral home you used when your loved one died, or you can go online and there are many apps and many sites where if you put in the English date and the year, they will give you the Jewish date of the yard site. Light a yard site candle at home the night before because the Jewish day begins in the evening. Give tzedakah in memory of the loved one. Learn Torah that day. Read from a book about Judaism or Torah ideas or arrange to learn from someone from the community. Recite Kaddish. Or, if you can't, arrange for someone to recite it on your behalf. Call a local synagogue for help. Sponsor a kiddush in synagogue on that day or on the Shabbat that falls at the end of that week. Some people even have the custom to fast on that day from sunrise to sunset. It's interesting to note that in Judaism, we downplay birthdays, never commemorating the date of birth of one who has passed away, yet we're careful to mark the anniversary of someone's death. The Talmud describes the custom of celebrating birth using the image of a ship. How odd it relates that people hold a big party when the ship is about to sail, yet when it arrives at its destination, nothing is done. It really should be the other way around. Although the day of our birth holds all the potential for the life that will be, the day we die is the marker of who we actually became. Our worth is measured according to how much of our potential was realized. Did we live up to who we were to the best of our ability in the time that we had? 
When our loved one dies and goes back to God, to their home port, we mourn not having them here with us, yet we remember what they were able to accomplish in this life. The Yardside's annual commemoration is a time to feel sadness, but also to celebrate who a loved one was and the life that he or she lived. Yiskor. Yiskor means remembrance and is marked with ceremony at the services held in synagogues on significant holidays. Yom Kippur, the last day of Passover, the last day of Shavuot, the eighth day of Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret. We stop to remember on these major holidays because the holidays are an expression of Am Yisrael, the Jewish nation, celebrating together. As a part of the Jewish people, each of us realizes that we are only here as Jews because of those who came before us, who made the decision to be Jews even in the face of great personal risk. The connection to generations past and loved ones gone is made at Yizkor. In some synagogues, before the private Yizkor prayers, the congregation as a whole remembers those who perished in the Holocaust and for the soldiers who gave their lives for the state of Israel. On the night before these days, when ushering in the holiday, one should light a yardsite candle at home in memory of the loved one. A candle that burns continuously for approximately 26 hours, available to purchase at any Jewish bookstore or grocery. On the day of Yiskor, one should attend services in the morning. Partway through the service, those who have never been mourners will be asked to leave the sanctuary, while those who have sat Shiva in the past will remain. Often, someone will speak briefly about remembering, and then all recite prayers in personal tribute to their loved ones. We ask God to remember them, not that he would forget, and we ask that in return for our devotion and generosity, God would recognize the new source of merit for the soul whose memory is now influencing our conduct. After the holiday is complete, be sure to give tzedakah, a charitable donation, in your loved one's memory. The process of mourning is not easy, and the Jewish way provides a structure to let mourners feel their solitude, separating them from the outside world, and then gradually reinstating them with people and society. People left on their own after experiencing a tremendous loss come face to face with their own mortality. They realize that life is transient, the heaviness of this reality could cause a person to retreat from people and life. The laws and customs surrounding the mourning process at first force mourners to separate and feel the pain, but then the traditions take them by the hand and slowly, with meaning, lead them back into life. When interviewing people who shared their grieving experiences with me, the feeling that I heard expressed time and time again was an overwhelming sense of emptiness. The pain of that emptiness was almost too much to bear. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, in his timeless work Horeb, speaks about this. He says that when people are in a state of grief, they physically feel a vacuum within them. This is the most painful state a human being can be in, because the essential drive of every person is the drive for fullness and completion. 
the different stages of mourning allow us to come to grips with the loss. Eventually, we realize the empty hole is not nearly as deep or as vast as we initially felt. Time does heal. But not because we're busy and the memories fade. With time comes objectivity. We realize that the person we are now is the product of the loved one that we lost. Elements of our character, our actions, and our values all result from this special soul and the experience of loss. The body, being finite, does die. Yet the soul, the essence of our loved one, is eternal. The connection between us lives on. This reality begins to slowly fill the vacuum, but not completely. We can never fully grasp the eternity of the soul. We will always have that space inside. We are human beings who are limited in our capacity to truly understand the ways of God and the hereafter. Not until we ourselves enter that world beyond and are reunited with our loved ones will we truly understand. Thank you.